Thanks for listening. For earlier access to these episodes, access to Ask Me Anything sessions, and extended breakdowns of historical and current events, please consider joining our warning premium community by clicking the link in the description to this episode. Today, I've changed outfits, and I'm wearing my Air Force sweatshirt in honor of the branch of America's armed forces that controls the most nuclear warheads that could be fired at any second upon the order of the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief. That's important to consider, isn't it? The person who has the power at their disposal to end human civilization? Donald Trump held that power. It frightens me thinking about it. It terrifies me pondering that he could get it again. Liz Cheney talked about it. Let's listen to her diagnose with 100% complete accuracy a fundamental problem in American politics. What we've done in our politics is create a situation where we're electing idiots. And uh, it's... And so I, I don't look at it through the lens of like, you know, is this what I should do or what I shouldn't do? I look at it through the lens of how do we elect serious people? And I think electing serious people can't be partisan. Notice the juxtaposition around the seriousness with which Congresswoman Cheney delivers that diagnosis and the reaction of the crowd. The crowd thinks she's name-calling as opposed to using a word in the English language accurately and precisely. What the crowd hears is a polemic, a laugh line, not a diagnosis. And that's unfortunate because Miss Cheney is being precisely accurate about what ails the country at the core. When we elect the lowest and the dumbest amongst us, to the positions of the greatest power. When we give power to narcissists, it reveals their character. And when we see someone like Trump, who has exposed himself as having the rottenest character imaginable, it says something about the national character when one of the two great major parties in the country would ever consider making that person their nominee and proposing that they have the power to end humanity, that they have the trust to possess the launch codes for the nuclear weapons, particularly if that person had desecrated and violated their oath of office. Now, Donald Trump started talking about breaking the tradition of the peaceful transition of power in 2016. It was a radical moment when Donald Trump said, well, the election's legitimate if he wins. Democracy is premised on a very, very simple concept. It requires both or all of the political parties who are involved in any democratic process to be able to be willing 
to lose with grace, with dignity, the understanding that we'll get you next time is fundamental to democracy. Take it from me. I was the person who placed the phone call for John McCain to Barack Obama so he could concede the election. The person who mattered wasn't the person who turned to Barack Obama at the campaign headquarters and said, congratulations, Mr. President. It was John McCain. And it was John McCain's supporters. It was the Americans who were disappointed in the result, but nevertheless understood the dignity and the majesty of our system and that the majority had spoken and that they had decided that Barack Obama had been elected 44th president of the United States of America. Even in defeat, there was an extraordinary sense of optimism and renewal and majesty to have the awesome privilege to be part of the continuing pageant of American democracy, which in this country is not zero-sum, is not life and death, is not existential. We don't put up our opponents against the wall in America. No matter what the rhetoric of extremists who surround Donald Trump and swim around him like masses of bait fish in the sea. Now, people made a great many accommodations to support Donald Trump. What every extremist and fascist cause has ever shared in common is an alliance of convenience where conservatives have looked out and said the gravest threat the country the nation is facing is from the left, not from the fascist standing next to you. Now, the question that I raised was, when the inevitable became obvious and clear, who would follow along? How many members of Congress would follow in to Trump's seditious waters? Who would cross the Rubicon? And this is the thing to understand. Once the Rubicon was crossed, it cannot be uncrossed. It cannot be undone any more than the events in Russia that we've seen transpire over the last week can be unmade or undone. They happened. They're real. Just as the events on January 6th, 2021 happened. In the aftermath of the election, by the score, Republican elected officials joined in the most malicious and malignant conspiracy theory in American history that set the stage for an insurrection. There are a thousand people that have been sentenced to prison for their part in it, and more are on the way. And perhaps there will be accountability and justice for the man who incited it, 
we know every detail about what happened on January 6th because of the courage, because of the toughness, the grit and determination of Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson, Jamie Raskin, and all of the members of the January 6th committee. Now, the simple fact is that the American people, armed with the knowledge, will have to make a decision. And that decision, fundamentally at the end, devolves to a question around whether we will continue American democracy. It's a staggering question to ponder. Will American democracy fall to Donald Trump and a cabal of extremists that represent a clear minority? But there seems to be no majority that stands firmly enough, obstinate enough, united enough to guarantee the extremists won't take power. The question at hand politically is, can an extremist minority unite with a minority of apathy to become an extremist majority with a coalition party of national indifference? Indifference to suffering, to cruelty, to depravity, to lying and dishonesty. Now, Liz Cheney said with Lester Holt that the question is if the Republican Party continues down the road. I think that it's very clear for the Republican Party, um, you know, th they have to choose. Uh, and the choice is whether or not you support the Constitution or you support Donald Trump. But, but those are mutually exclusive. And if the Republican Party continues down this path um, and uh, moves towards, for example, nominating Donald Trump for the presidency, uh, you know, I think that we have seen day after day after day the party go further and further um, uh, down this path of not being salvageable. And um, I think the single most important issue and I mean that the single most important issue that faces this nation, and we face a huge array of challenges and threats, and they're very complex. But the single most important issue is that Donald Trump never be anywhere near the Oval Office again. The point is this. It's okay for Republicans who supported Donald Trump through the first election or the second election to see what it is clearly that he has become. Those people have all looked at a various set of circumstances and have left decisively the cause of Donald Trump. What Liz Cheney did and what Adam Kitzinger did is of profound importance. And it defines the dimensions of our age of cowardice. In the end, Donald Trump was the leader 
of a united Republican Party who, despite all of his flaws, led that united party into an election. When he denied the results of that election and he set in motion a declaration of repudiation for the concepts of the American Revolution, a declaration of repudiation of American democracy, a declaration of repudiation of the peaceful transition of power. The only two Republicans who stood up in the country in federal elected office and who said no were Liz Cheney and Adam Kitzinger. The entire Republican Party had rotted out and had succumbed except for two people. And for standing up, they lost their electoral careers. Now, what Liz Cheney is saying about Donald Trump and the necessity of defeating him is urgent, necessary, and right. But there is a caveat to what she's saying and it has to do with the tense in the English language. Everything Liz is talking about is future tensed. If the Republican Party continues down this path, then this will happen. The institution of the National Republican Party is the threat. The MAGA Congress is the threat. Kevin McCarthy is the threat today because all of them are feckless and faithless to the Constitution of the United States. They are professional gaslighters who have paved the way for a tyrant to come to power by coddling him when he committed insurrection, when he incited mayhem and violence and death at the capital of the United States of America. We don't live in an episodic television series where on any given day, there can be a plot turn, a 180, where good can become bad and up can become down and down can become up. It's a children's fantasy. In reality, what came last, what drives what happens next. And sometimes what happens last can define the future for a very, very, very long time. The question of why the Republican Party succumbed and why, in the end, so few had any principles whatsoever is a question for historians and sociologists and psychologists. Now, the question is for political pragmatists 
And it's, what do we do about it? How do we stop it? And in this, Liz Cheney couldn't be more correct. We need to reapply the test that John Kennedy laid down. We need men and women of competence, of character, of judgment in positions of political power. We have created a buffoonery in Washington, D.C. We have created an idiocracy. The American media has monetized it to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. A lie industry that is taking away your mobility, your freedom, your country, and your children's birthrights. And now, because this rotten era has spiraled out of control for so long, we stand at the precipice of one of the great crises in American history, the unfathomable fall of American democracy to the most loathsome of men. What an extraordinary moment we have arrived at. What a sad moment. Liz Cheney couldn't be more correct. And it's not a punchline. It's an observation. Donald Trump could be seen a long time off. He could be seen in 2012 when Mitt Romney was doing campaign appearances with him. He could be seen in the 1980s when he was race baiting in New York City. Donald Trump is what he has always been. America's most narcissistic and inflated scumbag. And now he's coming to his end. Here's the lesson from this weekend with Vladimir Putin. Trump looks at these people with admiration and respect and a longing for their power. He sees the military parade in the moment, but he never cares to look how it always ends. For Adolf Hitler, the grubby Fuhrer of the Thousand-Year Reich, it was in a dank bunker with a bullet to his head as he poisoned his dog and his wife. Mussolini was found hanging upside down with his mistress, beaten by partisans with sticks. Saddam, Pinochet, everyone ends up the same, fallen, and it happens quickly and unpredictably as their movement collapses. Let's look at Trump's idol, Putin, a man of imponderable strength through Trump's eyes, who now appears wasted, pudgy, small, little, like Trump's hands rustling through the papers of America's secrets so he can brag and flirt with a staffer. 
disgraceful doesn't begin to describe all of this. Liz Cheney is right. We are electing idiots to the highest office in the land and to many offices below that. But the question is, what do you call the people that elect the idiots? Are they fools? Or are they something else? We ought to talk about that too.